0: Let's pray together. God, you are love and you love us uh, so much we cannot even comprehend fully uh, what that love means. Um, God, this morning as we, we spend time in your word, I pray that you will, will open our, our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say to us and that we will listen and we will obey. God help us to be a people who who hear you and respond in action. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Laura and I got married in uh, December of two thousand, or in August of two thousand two, <laughs> and then moved in December. I jumped ahead in the story. We got married in August and then moved in December of that same year uh, to Dallas. And uh, we, we moved uh, in my truck uh, that I had since uh, early college and still have parked out there. Um, and then we re-inherited the car that I drove in high school for my sister. Um, and so we're, we've got these two vehicles that are not the newest vehicles, and we're taking these to Dallas. And, and so Laura is driving the car, and that, that is now her vehicle to drive around the Metroplex. We, we grew up here in Albuquerque, and now we've moved to Dallas, and it's scary. And so, um, so, so we have got this, we've got this car. It's a, a, a blue Chevy Cavalier, and, and this, this car is a little tricky because when, when the gas gauge gets down to about a quarter of a tank, the gauge stops working. And so, you kind of think you know how much gas you have. And so, being the very responsible and uh, frugal person that I was, we like to keep the gas down around a quarter of a tank way too often. And uh, way too often, we found ourselves with no gas. And uh, so, we were on our way to church, going down one of the busy interstates uh, to get to church, and going down this road, and the car just stops going uh, because it doesn't have any gas. And so we we kind of coast off to the side of this busy highway. Thankfully, it is Sunday, so traffic is not absolutely ridiculous. And so here we are on our way to church. We've recently moved to town. We know no one and cannot call my dad to bail us out, which we always do and now do again. Um, and so <laughs> we're stuck on the side of the road with no gas. There's no gas. I mean, it's no gas station anywhere close because it's just this major major interstate and so we start walking i guess i don't know what to do what we'll get to somewhere and do something i'm not entirely sure what the plan was so we're walking down the road dressed for church uh in dallas uh going down this this highway and and this sweet couple pulls over and and offers to give us a ride and this is like, okay, this is so embarrassing. You know, I, here we are on the side of the road with no gas. This, this should not be happening. And here this couple is. They pick us up and, and uh, come to find out they are headed to the same church that we're headed to, which is in, very convenient. So, so they just take us to church. And uh, we go to church and then go deal with the vehicle later. And so this, this great couple just saw this, strange couple on the side of the road and felt like they not strange no, not strange I was strange she wasn't um, and so so they, they stop and pick this, this this couple up and take them to church and and now we have this great story to tell and every time we see them because we have continued we continued to go to church with them uh, over the years that we were in Dallas we have this this story to share um, and many of us have been the recipients of some Thing like that, right? Some act of compassion, some act of generosity. Some of us have been in the position of being able to give to someone in that way. Uh, It was something very simple. It wasn't all that big of a deal uh, to to give us a ride to church. But but in that moment, that was huge for us. That act of compassion was was significant for us, especially as we were in a new place that we didn't know, uh, we didn't know what to do. And here somebody went out of their way, uh, pulled over, and I guess it wasn't as out of the way as they thought it was going to be, uh, as we went to, uh, went to church together. Um, but this morning we're going to talk about this idea of compassion, and, and we've been the recipients of that, we've been the givers of that, and, and this is a really challenging topic for us. Uh, when we really get down into what Scripture is telling us about compassion, about, about what we are to do as followers of Jesus, Now, we can start to get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, This semester, we're going through this series titled The Core, where we are looking at our core beliefs, and we're trying to, to saturate our minds and ultimately get that down into our hearts so that we have these core beliefs within us. Our beliefs are what we really, really believe in our hearts. Those are the things that shape our behavior And I would say look at someone's actions and you will see what's really at the core of their hearts. Because out of the overflow of what's going on in the heart is where our actions are. And so how we behave and how we act, if we want to act like Jesus, if we want to behave like Jesus, then we have to think like Jesus and we have to believe like Jesus. And that has to get into the very core of our hearts. And so we've been asking questions like, who is God, and does, does God care about us, and, and how do we have a relationship with God, and how do we know that, uh, what God's will is for our lives, and, and the question of, who am I? We've looked at these questions, and the answers to these questions shape how we act and who we are. The first several weeks, we were looking at our relationship with God and and who he is and who we are. And then the last couple weeks, we've shifted into more of those horizontal relationships, our relationships with each other. We looked at, at how the church is God's tool to use to achieve his purposes, that he wants to use his church. He designed the church for the sake of his mission, and his people gathered together to carry out his promises to be a blessing to the world. We looked at how all people are loved by God. Patrick talked last week about how how small and tiny atoms are and how absolutely massive the universe is. And and in that incredibly profound, mind-blowing view of what the, the universe is, we seem so small and insignificant, but God knows us and loves us anyway. That as big as the universe is, he knows each and every hair on our head. He knows us and he loves us. And so up to this point, we see that that God is good. We see that he cares for us, that he wants a relationship with us, that he has a plan for us. We see all of those things coming together and, and his promises being fulfilled through his church. And so all of that combined together leads us to the very challenging question that we have for today. And that question is simply, what about the poor and injustice? Because it doesn't take long to look at the world around us to realize that things are not all good. The things are not all perfect. We see brokenness around us, we see brokenness in relationships, we, we see brokenness in individual lives, we see poverty, we see injustice, all of that surrounds us, and you do not have to look far to see it. And so when you start looking at the global village that we live in, it starts to become even more profound, and quite frankly, overwhelming, to think about the poverty that's around us. Here's a few statistics that I found um, of, of the 6 billion people on earth, about 1.2 billion people are living on 23 cents a day. Half the world lives on less than $2 a day. The average American lives on $114 a day. The wealthiest 1 billion people average $70 a day. If you make $35,000 annually, you're in the top 4% of the world. If you make $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world. Someone dies of hunger every 16 seconds. Last, uh, When this was written a, a few years ago, 22 million people had died of preventable diseases, 10 million of which were children. 27 million children and adults are trapped in slavery. There are more slaves today than ever before in human history. More than 143 million children in the world have been orphaned or abandoned. Within one hour, 1,625 children are forced into the streets by the death or abuse of an adult. 115 children become prostitutes, 66 children under the age of 15 are infected with HIV, all in one hour. And roughly one billion people in the world do not have suitable housing, and 100 million are entirely homeless. And so on the global scale, you start to see how incredible the poverty is in this world. You start to look at the income differences even in the United States and and the gaps between the 1% and everybody else below. And so on a global scale, we are an incredibly wealthy group of people. Some of us, even on a national scale, are wealthy people when you start looking at the averages of income. And so, so this gives you a little bit of a picture of, of the world in which we live, and so it's not difficult to get to a place where we start questioning God and the questioning the goodness of God, to say, how can God allow these kinds of things to happen? God, how can you allow bad things to happen to good people? We hear that question a lot. And so there's a fundamental problem with that question, is, is that we're not good people. Let's start there. And so, so we're, not, we're not good people. There's a brokenness. Since the fall, there, there has been this damaged relationship with, between us and God. We are a sinful people. We are a selfish people. So does God allow these things to happen? And these are difficult questions for us to answer. The, the, the idea of, of hurt and brokenness, and and God's role in those things is a very challenging thing, And, and so we can look at the statistics of the world and say, this gives us evidence that God is really not that good, but we turn to scripture to see what the real answer is of who God is, and where the problems lie, and the situations that we find ourselves in. And so we're going to spend some time this morning digging into to what it is that the Bible says. Because as we look at the stories of the Bible, we see people who are very broken. We see people who are very screwed up. We see people who are poor. We see people who are enslaved. We see people who are sick and ill. And how does God handle those people? And how does God treat those people? Because what God in the Bible does then, God does today. And so we turn to Scripture to say, God, who are you and what are you up to here? Because we see this hurt and we see this brokenness around us. The the Bible shows us not a God who abandons people, but a God who cares very deeply for people, for all people. He cares deeply for the poor. He cares deeply for the marginalized. God is pursuing his people in a relationship with his people. And so as we take a look at these passages, we're, we're going to talk about this, the answer to this question about what about the poor and injustice. And to that we have this core belief that we're going to explore today. It says, I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And so let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. It's not only God who cares about the poor and the marginalized, he also expects his people to do the same. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so what does God require of us? It it doesn't say anything about church services. It doesn't say anything about how we dress, or it doesn't say anything about where we live. What he says is, what I really care about, what I require of you, not what I request of you, what I require of you is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Justice and mercy are very much at the heart of who God is. And we see this theme throughout Scripture. And so this sets a pretty high bar, doesn't it? It makes us a bit uncomfortable. It challenges us. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and and he continues these themes of justice and mercy. This is how he introduces it himself and what his ministry is all about when he goes to his hometown and launches his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone were glued to him. (laughs) Who is this guy to say these things? And he says to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. How incredible to be, be sitting in the synagogue and hear Jesus reading these words of Isaiah and say, Hey, that's me. This is what I've come to do. I have come to proclaim the good news to the poor. I've come to proclaim freedom for prisoners. I've come to heal the disabled. I've, I've come to, to set the oppressed free. I've come to, to, to proclaim the Lord's favor. He says, this is who I am, this is what my mission is. He says, yeah, that's me. This is what I've come to do. And these themes of reconciliation and compassion and justice are woven throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see that in the prophets. We see that in the ministry of Jesus as examples for us. But as we think about the the ideas of reconciliation and compassion and justice in our Western 21st century eyes, uh, it's easy for us to start skipping over these kinds of things. That we come into these places with, with very wealthy eyes. And these are uncomfortable passages for us to look at. Because we look at at what Jesus is doing and we see the gap between what he's doing and what we're doing and and it's hard to reconcile those two things. It's hard to reconcile the the, the wealth of this nation with the poverty of this world. It's hard to reconcile the the wealth of, of the Christian church and the poverty of the world. It's hard to reconcile the amount that's spent on pet food and the rest of the world. And so we look at these passages, and we get a little uncomfortable, and our tendency when we get uncomfortable is to move on to something else. So let's read the next chapter. Let's just move on to the next thing, and we'll deal with that some other time. And so we're going we're to gonna kind of camp in a couple passages here, uh, one from the prophets and one from the Gospels. We're going we're gonna to spend some time in Isaiah chapter 58, and we're going to read a, a pretty big chunk of Isaiah 58 here, uh, more than what we usually do. So go ahead and turn to that. It'll be on the screen, but, but if you want to read along in your Bible, that would, that would be really helpful as well as we go through this. In, in Isaiah 58, we've got this vision of God's people as they should be. Um, It's the 7th century BC, the people are in captivity, they are trying to do what's right, they're trying to to be right with God, and they appear to be doing everything right. They're going through all the religious motions, they're, they're praying and they're fasting, and they're going through the religious ceremonies. This is what they're trying to do. And this is what Isaiah 58 says, starting in verse 1, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. So this is God saying, bring this message to my people and tell them what's going on. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and, what, and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for uh, just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So we, we have this this group of people here that God is addressing and saying, you appear to be seeking God. It, it, it looks like you really want to be close to Him. It looks like you want to be near to Him. You're seeking Him. It looks that way. But God sees through what's going on here. That there's, there is a, an exterior thing here. There, there's, there's a sham and when and, and we look here and say, yeah, something's not quite right, we continue. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. So you're saying you want to pursue God, and then you fast to look religious, but then you're exploiting people. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. So so you're fasting, you're acting religious, but you can't even get along with one another. You're mean to one another. You're, You're arguing and fighting. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And so, yeah, you look good on the outside. Yeah, you're going through this this super spiritual fast. Like, look at how great you are and how religious you are. But you're really a jerk. And you're mean to people. And you're taking advantage of people. And so how good is that? Is that really what God is calling you into? to, to, To fast in that way? Where your life is really no different than how you started out the fast? What really does please God? And he continues, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? So it's not this, but it's this. This is the fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And so the people are are to be known not for their great worship, not for their great fasting, not for their great prayers. He describes a, a group of people that should be more concerned about the poor than they are about themselves. They should be a people where they seek freedom for the oppressed where they seek food for the hungry and provide shelter for the poor and clothing for the naked. And this is the kind of religion that God is looking for. This is the kind of fast that he wants. This is what he wants to see his people become. And if his people do that, here's the promise that he gives them. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And I will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. God promises that he will be here. He will provide. You cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide your ways. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail." And so there's this incredible promise to to the people who will will rise up to what God is calling them to do. These will be a people that are blessed. Your light will rise in darkness. The, The Lord will guide you if you do these things. He will provide for your needs. God does not abandon. He does not give up. And so these themes continue through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. In Luke 4 that we we read earlier, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, talking about the prophets, and and he uses that to introduce himself and his purposes. And then later in in Jesus' ministry, in Matthew chapter 25, he gives a picture of what the judgment day will be like in regard to how the poor are treated. And so turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to spend the rest of our time there. Matthew chapter 25 gives us this picture that is uncomfortable and challenging for us. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Listen closely. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And now we get to the scary parts, starting in verse 41. Then he will say to those who are on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will give the same answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so there is a pretty challenging and uncomfortable statement there that, that how the poor are treated, how the marginalized are treated, if, if we allow that injustice to continue, then that has eternal consequences for us. And that's incredibly sobering to think about what we are called to be as the people of God. What are we called to be? And so this is a passage that I'm sure is familiar, but like the other ones, these are ones that we, we tend to want to skip over and go to something a little bit more comfortable. Uh, maybe these are passages that we would much rather cut out of our Bible and say, no, Jesus really doesn't want to judge us like that. But this is, this is what God is saying to us. It says, this is what you were called to do. This is how you were called to act. And so this is so sobering for us in, in this century, in, in this place, in this time. What are we to do? And so the issue of poverty is certainly a complicated one. And, and it's not one that, that any, not a problem that any one individual is going to be able to solve. But we do our best and we're faithful to what God has called us to do in those moments. Dealing with with poverty and injustice is messy. It's time-consuming. It's difficult. It requires a selflessness that few of us really have to be able to engage in that. And there are times that we would really rather look the other way and times that we'd like to move on to our own agendas and do our own things. And so we, we say that we need to be compassionate. But there is, there is a difference between an intellectual understanding of something and a heartfelt belief. We've been talking about that week after week. What's in my head is different than what's in my heart. And so do I really have a compassionate heart? A genuine concern for the poor is, is going to look at and have very tangible expressions. We have to do something. There has to be some sort of tangible expression to the heart of compassion. And th- there are a lot of ways that we do this. And, and, and this is not supposed to be one of those sermons that just kind of beats us down and discourages us, and we're like, oh man, we're horrible. Because we are doing so much. Many of of you can tell some incredible stories of ways that you are helping and and serving the poor and the marginalized. And there's ways that we can get involved in that and, and join in with others. If you feel convicted like you need to be doing something else, the easiest next step is to jump in with somebody who's already doing it. Jump into things that are already going on. Things like our, our food pantry that we have. Bring groceries for the food pantry. Every week we list out what's needed for that week, and you can look in the bulletin and go shopping and bring things for the food pantry. And right now we are, are limited on how frequently we can help people from the food pantry because of the limit of supplies. But if we had more supplies, we could help more people more frequently. And so we feed people at this church You can come and help with our Wednesday night suppers where the majority of people coming to dinner on Wednesday night are our neighbors who are in need. We're not feeding ourselves. We are feeding our neighbors. And so jump in with what's going on on Wednesday nights. You can volunteer for things like our Thanksgiving meals that we provide. You can bring backpacks and school supplies and coats and blankets when we do those drives throughout the year. You can help with Family Promise, which actually provides a home for the homeless in our building one week. And we do that four times a year. And so watch the bulletin for opportunities to help with fam- Family Promise. You can come and serve dinner and, and meet the people and, and, and have conversations with people and get to know their stories and, and hear about just the incredible challenges that we're facing. Our small group helped uh, do one of the dinners at the Last Family Promise, and, and one, of the, one of the ladies that was there was struggling with homelessness and, and, and got pregnant when she was a teenager, and, and it was raising this daughter when everybody else told her not to raise her, and, and she has just been in an uphill battle trying to make life work. And here she is, sitting in our fellowship room, sharing a meal with us. We have a help chest where we help pay. Uh, we, we help with rental assistance and paying for utilities and, and a variety of different things from people both within the congregation and outside of the congregation. We, we put aside some of every weekly contribution to go into that help chest, but if you want to give more to that help chest, we will always take a check for that. Because the more money that's in that fund, the more we can distribute. And we have a great committee who vets those and, and really is discerning on how that money is spent and who we try to help. Those are things that are going on right here in this congregation that you are so involved in. And then there's even more organizations in town that you're involved in with things like, like Kairos that goes into prisons and, and, and visits those in prison. We read, we read that, right? Does this sound familiar? Visiting those in prisons, there are people here that actually do that. Caring for orphans, caring for those who are in need. We have the Christian uh, Children's Home. We have Albuquerque Rescue Mission. We have Peaceful Habitation. All of these are ministries that are trying to help bring people along and serve them where they're at, those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed. And so we're very involved in these things. And so, so this is not a sermon to, to say, oh, you need to do more and, and, and beat ourselves up. But it's also incredibly convicting, right? Because even those of us who are involved in those things, we look and see at how big the problem is and think, man, I'm just not doing enough. There's always more to do. There's another ministry to get involved in, more people to serve. There's always greater needs. And we look at Jesus and and how he ministered to people, and he didn't spend all of his time with the poor and the marginalized. He spent time with his disciples, and he spent time with the wealthy, and he spent time with with others. He, he, He had a variety of different roles that he played and a variety of different ministries that he served in. But is there any question in how Jesus operated, about his heart for the poor and the marginalized? Could you look at him and say, yeah, I don't think he really cared? No. But at the same time, we can look at all the good things that are going on and we can start pointing "Of oh, our church does this, and oh, our church does that, and, and we feel really good about what our church does, that we forget to get involved in it, that we don't engage in what's going on. And we ourselves are not participating with compassionate hearts, even though it's going on around us. And then some of us feel guilty, and we do so many good things, and do so much just so we can look good, and we still lack the compassionate heart. We fill our time with great things and are doing great good. But is that really a compassionate heart? And so this heart thing is really between you and God. It, it, there is no external action that you can do that I can, I can judge where your heart is at. Because we're really good about fooling each other, right? We're, we're good about putting on a good facade. We're good about, about acting good and doing all the right things. Some of us do uh, acts of service uh, in, in such secret ways that none of us ever get to see. And you're doing so much good In those secret ways that nobody can see? So, the question today is really more about you reflecting on what God is telling you about what's going on in your heart as we answer this question about what about the poor and injustice? That where are our hearts at? Do we have those hearts of compassion? Um, a couple weeks ago, Laura and Elena and I went down to the Albuquerque Rescue Mission to to serve dinner on Friday night. Uh, the The Rescue Mission is this uh, incredible ministry that uh, is is downtown Albuquerque, and they serve breakfast and dinner to whoever wants to show up. If you need a meal, you show up, and they'll they'll serve you a meal. And they make that part very easy. And then they 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 provide a variety of other services. Uh, to help the poor and the homeless in this city. Um, and there are other ministries that, that do similar things. There's, there's lots going on in Albuquerque if you will open up and, and look and see and engage in those things. Um, the Albuquerque Rescue Mission, it was my first time to ever go, and it was just such a great experience to see the ministry that they do. Um, Laura and I were reflecting on it some, and I want her to to come up and um, share a little bit with kind of how she was processing through our experience that night uh, as we were just simply serving dinner. Nothing spectacular. We were just serving trays of food. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how how that kind of hit you.
1: Um, Well, because we had never done it before, I was a little nervous taking the kids and just trying to... I'd like to be prepared as mentally as I could, and I wasn't able to be because I'd never been there before. So we got there, and I was admittedly relieved at first to know that we were going to be behind a counter um, just so that I could figure out how everything was going to work. You know what I mean? Um, and so we get there, and we're assigned our jobs, and, and, and it hit me, and I really feel like God just hit me as I was looking at these men and women who were great, receiving these plates of food that we were plating and handing out as quickly as we could. And it was like he said, this person right here is somebody's daughter. This guy over here that looks different is somebody's son, maybe somebody's father, somebody's uncle, somebody's brother. And it just hit me that that these people are loved by somebody. And some of us may have somebody in our life who is walking that path or who is needing extra help, um, but they're loved by somebody on, a, on an earthly level. But more importantly, they're loved the way God, I mean, God loves them, the way that we love. And, and I thought, my kids, nobody, Nobody looks at your toddler, you know, my Annabeth. I, I don't look at her and say, someday you're gonna be going to be going through a, a food line needing help. That's not what we dream for our children. And yet, sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we need that help. And to have that compassion that Jesus, that Jesus had and that God sees them the way that I see my baby girl, it just hit me, you know, I don't know. That was just, that was just kind of what um, God hit me that yeah. Friday night. So. Yeah.
0: And so just the, the humanizing of things becomes an important part. You know, sitting down in the, in the fellowship room at a table and, and having a conversation with, with the, the girl that's struggling so much or, or going to that food pantry or going to the places where, you, where you're really encountering poverty at a very personal level. Um, and and there are an infinite number of volunteer opportunities for us, and so we can't do all those, but, but what is the one thing that God is calling you to? Is it, is it having extra bottles of water in your car to hand out to people who are on the street corner? Maybe that is something that you feel compelled to do. Or maybe that's not your thing. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's coming to Wednesday night, a variety of different things that you could be doing, but I... I I really want us to really be thinking and asking and praying, God, what do you want to do through me? God, what are you saying to me? These are the questions that we have been, been asking ourselves week after week after week. God, what do you want to do through me? And, and, and our answer to that will be unique for each and every one of us. He's calling each of us to use our time, talent, and treasures in a variety of ways. But without doubt, he is absolutely calling us to hearts of compassion. And so what, in it, what is in your life that is keeping you from being that compassionate person that God is calling you to be? What are the things that are in the way of, of your heart being open to others? And this compassion, it extends to the poor, it extends to the marginalized, it extends to anyone who's broken and hurting, which is every single one of us at some point. And so what is our heart toward one another? If the God of the universe loves each and every one of us to the point where he knows every detail about us, should we extend that same love and compassion to others around us. So let's be standing together. We're not talking about simply doing more for the sake of doing more. We're certainly not talking about doing more to earn God's love and to earn God's good grace. Those things are already won for us. But we're talking about taking action that comes from an overflow of the heart. And sometimes we have to go through the motions a little bit to get our heart in line with things. And sometimes we just have to step out of our comfort zone and do some things that are a little weird and things that, that maybe we wouldn't really normally be into, and, and our heart kind of comes in, in line with that and follows behind. But I want us to think about who Jesus is and what he calls us to do. Why did Jesus come and then we have the answer to this question of poverty and injustice. And I want us to read this together now. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And so do you really believe that in your hearts? And what needs to change with how your week goes? And how you spend your time and how you spend your resources? to have a life that reflects that statement. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you will continue to speak to us, that you will show us what it is that you want for us, that you will um, inspire us and encourage us. God, I pray that you will uh, give us opportunities to show compassion in ways that we didn't even imagine ourselves capable of doing. God but I pray that you will do the reconstructive heart surgery on us that gives us hearts of compassion so that we can truly love others the way you love us. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.